0: Listen now for God's word as we read from Matthew's gospel, the 25th chapter, beginning with the 31st verse. When the Son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. you that are cursed, depart from me into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not give me clothing, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. There's so many themes for us to celebrate today. Thanksgiving is upcoming, the culmination of the, of the natural year, I suppose you would say, celebrating the harvest and the, and the bounty of, of nature. This is also, as you have heard, this festival of Christ the King, or the reign of Christ. It's the culmination of the church year, the liturgical year, as we come to the end of the cycle of telling the life story of Jesus and move uh, next week into Advent, preparing for his coming. This passage concludes Matthew's special account of of the life of Jesus. Next, uh, the, the 25th chapter begins ends here. The 26th chapter begins the passion narrative, which Matthew shares uh, so much with, uh, Matthew, with, with Mark and Luke. This is, Mark, this is Matthew's final distinctive part of Jesus' story. J- Matthew began the story of Jesus last week in Jerusalem back in chapter 21 with the Palm Sunday triumphal entry. Then there are the stories and the conflicts of him and the religious leaders in Jerusalem during that last uh, week. Chapter 24 is that strange chapter, the apocalyptic chapter in all three of these synoptic gospels, looking toward the end in language that seems strange to those of us usually in the mainline church. But it poses the question, how are we to be ready for the coming of Christ. Well, then Matthew brings us back to to chapter 25, three of the most powerful parables that we have in the gospel record, and certainly in Matthew's story. Two weeks ago, it was the story of the wise and foolish, and that said, it's really important that you prepare. Then last Sunday's gospel had to do with the parable of the talents, saying, It is important that you prepare and that by preparing, we don't mean sitting around waiting for the end to come. We mean for you to be involved doing things. And now comes this passage, which gives us a hint about what it is that we should be doing in order to prepare. It's not really a parable, although we frequently call it such. It's more of a a drama uh, about the end of time. And the lesson, in one way is very simple because the way to be ready is simple, but perhaps deceptively so. It's ironic that this grand and glorious once for all eternal judgment is portrayed by Jesus as an every night ritual because every night, the sheep and the goats had to be separated. They grazed together during the day but at night, the goats needed more warmth, whereas the sheep needed more fresh air. And so they were separated at the close of the day. And the sheep being more valuable than the goats were given in this story the place of honor at the right hand. So what is important? If sheep were to be emulated by being the more valued possession, what makes our lives valuable? What's most important in life? There are a lot of good things in life, many necessary things that we avoid at our own peril. But what is most important? What, when we come to the point of, of, of God meeting us at the end of our days or at the end of the world, what is most important? Well, in our lives, survival needs are important. We all know that. As you observe the animals around you, you realize that they spend most of their time meeting these survival needs, making sure they have enough food and enough water to to survive, making sure they're not attacked by a predator. Survival needs are, are important in all of nature, and we as human beings have our own survival needs. It's good that we support ourselves. Our family is important. We are grateful for our families, for the families in which we grew up and in the families that we have been blessed to to establish uh, in, in life, the family and friends that, that make up our network of support. Beyond some of these survival needs, we, we want things like respect from others. We, we want to live in such a way that other people respect us and that can be measured in many ways, some of them better than others, but all of us seek some sort of respect in one way or another. To enrich our lives, most of us want in some way to increase our knowledge, to, to know more, to be more competent in so many ways. In the recent death of Alex Trebek, I have to say I'm, I'm sort of surprised. I'm a, I'm a Jeopardy fan myself. I love watching it but I've been surprised at the broad nature of the way people all over seem to be celebrating his life. Someone put it this way. He said, we, we loved Alex Trebek because in a culture that glorifies ignorance, Alex Trebek emphasized knowledge. Of course, we also want to, to practice our religion and to develop and grow our faith. Yes, indeed, but, but we need to be careful even there in this area, as in all these other areas, the pursuit of growth and maturity can corrode to simply being better than others, to have more stuff, to have not just a house, but a better house than someone else, to not just to know, but to know more than other people. Even in religion, we can see the desire to, to be better than others, Jesus' foes, in fact, used these measures to feel superior to others. And that's really at the heart of many of the conflicts of Jesus last week. And so we meet this passage. How will God judge us? Most of us, I think, have some picture of judge of the last judgment. Uh, and a lot of them, I'm sure, I'm not sure are, are all that helpful. I know the stories about meeting Saint Peter at the gate Uh, there are a lot of good jokes being told out of that and some jokes that aren't so good too but we'll pass over those Uh, there are a lot of good jokes but I'm not sure that's the best picture of of the last judgment some of us grew up with this idea that God was writing down all our sins in this great big red book and that judgment was going to be coming before him and having him look up our name in the book and see what was I don't know that's very uh, worthwhile What about what is God looking at? Is God interested in all these other things, survival needs, wisdom, knowledge, even our religion? Do these things matter? Of course, because God cares about everything that makes life good. He is the giver of all knowledge, but they are not primary, even religion. Even the practice of religion can be a, a false road to to, to an adequate status before God. I'm, I'm reminded so often of the story I read years ago that in 1917, when the Russian Revolution was in the streets of Moscow and St. Petersburg, establishing communism as a malevolent force in the world, that the leaders of the Christian church were in holy conference trying to debate how high the candles ought to be on the altar. Even the practice of religion can be contorted and distorted. <clears throat> so we, is it hard to figure out how, uh, what we, what's important in our life? Not really. Chapter 24 has a lot of people worried about times and seasons and trying to, to predict and say, well, this is when Jesus is going to come, even though it says we'll never know when Jesus is going to come. It's not important for us to know arcane uh, theories of the book of Revelation. It's not hard to know what God is interested in. Maybe it's too simple. Just remember six things. Hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, sick, prisoner. Hear them again. Hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, sick, prisoner. We can debate about all these things. We can make excuses for why we're not doing more. We can, pretend, we can pretend not to see the needs around us or we can do something. Remember that the people rejected in the parable did not do bad things. They didn't take food from hungry babies. They didn't go into prisons and beat people. They didn't do bad things. They just didn't do anything at all. Now, are there questions to be answered about how to help? Of course there are. Because there are are many ways to help, and we want to help in ways that are helpful. We don't want to send canned soup to a, a village where they don't have a can opener. There are many ways to help, and we need to talk about that. Mother Teresa helped in, in one way. A logistical engineer who's trying to figure out how to get food relief aid from the ship in the harbor to the village 100 miles inland where starvation is rampant, he's helping in a quite a, a different way. There are many ways to help, but the one who argues and debates and never gets around to helping is gonna wind up sleeping with the goats. That's not all about food and water. It's easy to talk about It's important that we talk about those things. But clothing, medical care, a welcoming spirit are needed as well. What's needed are ordinary deeds that are done for the least of those. Allow me two stories. One comes from Las Vegas. I know there are a lot of stories from Las Vegas, but this is not one of those. There was a volunteer in a Las Vegas food bank. One day she went to, to do her service and she told her co-workers, I'm not going to be packing bags today or handing out boxes. I'm going to sit and listen and talk to our, to our uh, clients. So she did. She asked them, what, what do you really need? Now first she said she had to convince them that that just wasn't another hoop they had to jump through to get their food. But once she convinced them that she really wanted to hear their answer, and she said, what is it that would help you get your life put together again? She said, none of them mentioned food. Did they take food when they left? Of course, I'm sure they did. They needed the food. But what was most important to them, To what would help them most get their life back together? Most of them, the, the greatest number of them at least mentioned I'd like some help getting a job. And all of them said to her, thank you for listening. The the hungry certainly do need food. The stranger and the prisoner need someone to care. Years ago, as a student, I was assigned to help out in a in a clothes closet. The people who ran it were nice people. They had a genuine desire to help but they also had a sense that they were kind of better than the people who came to get help. And so the people who did come, when they left, they had their bag full of clothes and a sense that they had been put down. It doesn't really matter whether who you're helping, whether, it's, whether they're the most impoverished people in town or the richest in town, they need a listening ear. They need more than what you give them, they need part of you. The second story started out during the Spanish Civil War, where an American working with his church uh, volunteer group was standing in a line handing out powdered milk to a line of hungry people. Too often the supply of powdered milk ran out before the line of hungry people. When he got back home to Indiana, In his farm community he began to talk with them and he said wouldn't it make more sense instead of sending powdered milk overseas to give these people a nutritious way to provide for themselves their their nutritional needs. And one man said I'll give a calf if someone will raise it. And another spoke up and another they, they gave a few calves they didn't go to Spain because that war was over by then they went to another part of the world. And that was the beginning of a tremendous ministry. Since then, during all the years since then, uh, not only cattle, um, but also goats and chickens and rabbits and more different kinds of animals than I can name are given away. And the recipient of each one promises to give the firstborn of that animal to someone else in need. And it happened because a farmer looked at, hey, what can I do? And Heifer International was born. And that makes my mind wander from Matthew 25 back to Exodus 3. You know the story, Moses at the burning bush. I like to say Moses had a thousand excuses why he couldn't do anything, and God had a thousand and one reasons that he could. Most of the point is where God says, what's in, that, in your hand, Moses? What's in your hand? What's in my hand, Lord? It's a stick. It's a staff. It's something that every shepherd has. It's the most ordinary things. But in God's hands, Moses was able to use that staff to free his people. Moses had a staff that God could use. Joshua had a trumpet. David had a harp. And a thousand years later, by the Sea of Galilee, a little boy had five loaves and two fish. What's in your hand, Moses? What's in your hand, Marcus? What's in your hand, fellow Christian? What's the simplest thing that you can do to show the compassion of Jesus to a world starved for love? May we pray. Loving God, open our eyes to those most in need. Open our eyes to what you have entrusted to us to be used for others in Jesus' name. Amen.